This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. City Chronicles is a Bayard Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to the Chronicles Q&A Mailbag Show. This is the show where Nikki Bandini and I answer all the beautiful questions that we've received to our Twitter account. Please do keep them coming. We really love reading them and having a chance to respond to them. Um, and we've got some really good ones this week, so I'm excited to read them out. Hello, Nikki. It's been a while. It's been a few days now. How it's been you? so long. It's been too long. <laughs> Absolutely has. Um, so let's get to it straight away. First one is from Patrick Casey at Rockville, Maryland. And he's asked, oh, USA fan. No mention of McKenney in your Juve midfield discussion. Does he belong? Question mark. US fans of your pod want to know. Nikki, does he belong? <laughs> does he belong? You know, it's it's a question that, that I've sort of gone through uh, evolutions with, I feel like with McKinney, I think I've talked about. Yeah, you really have um, actually. On, yeah. I think I've talked about on this podcast, but I think when I first saw him, I was, I was quite enthusiastic about him. And then I think I, I felt like we reached an early point of over-enthusiasm on McKinney. And I think that's happened before with American players. I think it has happened with English players as well. I think there's a tendency when we get players from as an English language source, yeah. when players from English English language nations arrive Andrew. in Italy, there can be a tendency to get very carried away. And I think with all the love in the world for our American listeners, I think American soccer fans as a collective can be very prone to getting swept up in their own uh, national players' uh, performances and, and wanting to believe the best of them, which by the way, I find a positive thing. I'm not saying it to be negative, but I think sometimes there's this sort of such an ex- excitement about seeing um, an, an American player make this sort of breakthrough to a really big European club like Juventus. I mean, again, Juventus, nine times in a row Serie A winners. It, it, it feels very sort of um, 
I don't know, the, the atmosphere around these players can get sort of overhyped, in my opinion, sometimes. I think it's interesting even seeing a player like Christian Pulisic is a really talented footballer, but I think some of the sort of response to him was premature. And then, you know, he maybe had a little bit of a dip and now now he's he's back up again. And I think that um, that for me is a bit um, the situation with McKinney. I think there was this moment of like initial super excitement. And I think that that sort of, eased off into a period where I was looking at him and going, look, this is, a, this is a good footballer. He's got things to recommend about him. But I think I described him on this uh, show before and, and using what I, I think is an American term, like a, a sandlot footballer, someone who you sort of really feel like when he's just freelancing, when he's someone who's doing things just off his own back, operating in chaos, not operating in a rigid structure, really could impress because he's got so much energy, so much dynamism, so much ferocity, frankly, that I think he would sort of bend those situations to his will a bit. When the game breaks down, you see him really excel. And I think that's still true, that those are situations in which you see sometimes the very best of him, because I think he's so he's such a forceful character that that when others are not quite sure of themselves, when others are losing that sense of their their grounding and their bearing, you really see him come forward. But I actually think in the last uh, six months, uh, this season in general, I feel like I've seen progression from him more generally. I think he has become something of a, uh, in personality and, and in the way he carries himself on the pitch, something of a, a leader in this Juventus team. I think people are looking to him more. And I think he is becoming more nuanced in the way he plays the game. I think he's learning better how to time a run. He's learning better when to make those incursioni, as we, we talk about in Italy, the incursions, the, the line-breaking runs, the, the, the sort of seeing the, the right spaces to attack rather than just playing in this sort of mad, uh, frenetic, uh, freelancing way, seeing much more the, the spaces and, and how to, to take advantage of them on the pitch. And he remains still someone who retains that Again, physical, uh, aggressive energy, which I think is very valuable to Juventus and I think sometimes does carry extra weight in, in Serie A, which is a league that can be very overly tactical at times. And sometimes you need someone who can just be a bulldozer. But I, I actually think he's he's really matured this season. I think he's he's probably someone who's learning well from Allegri, who is, despite his um, insistence sometimes that tactics are meaningless, I think he's quite a... A, a, a sophisticated thinker about the game and, and and understands the game and I think probably has taught him some things. So I, I think he's trending in a really good direction. And right now, for me, Mina, and I'm, I'm certain you'll have your own opinion on this, but for me, he's without question, if I'm picking a Juventus 11 right now, he's in it. He's in that Juventus midfield. I'm going to answer this question first as a fan and then as a objective journalist. <laughs> and the first thing that I'll say as a fan is that um, I would like to sell all of Juventus's team, most of it anyway, yes. Um, and especially in midfield, I would like to sell Ben Tencourt. I would like to sell Ramsey as soon as possible. And uh, even though he's, you know, up to being sold, uh, I want to lose Rabiot if that's a possibility for me. But I would like to keep Locatelli and I would like to keep Weston McKenney. I think it's interesting because last year we talked a lot about McKenney's growth and, um, and Nicky made this wonderful point back then, and I kept thinking about it a lot. And he, Pirlo had these sort of very less tactical, very open sort of type of game in which chaos thrives 
um, which is why Chiesa was, was, was so fun to watch last season under Pirlo and Weston McKenney was very fun to watch last season because there were just spaces all over the pitch. There wasn't so much positional discipline um, and sort of all these like rigid tactical approaches that certain coaches like Allegri do, do still believe in. And I think that McKenney was very interesting because he pops up in all the spaces and he makes use of that and he loves the chaos of it. And like Nikki puts puts it perfectly, he is a bulldozer. And I think that is, it's that personality, it's that drive, it's coming from the Bundesliga that's very offensive-minded, very attack-minded. It's like, let's go, let's try to beat this, let's win the duel, let's let's push, let's push. And, and you know, and, and this was a team that was very different to what he had experienced in the Bundesliga. This was a team that had Ronaldo, um, and yet he always lived up to the sort of the, the, he arrived at a very tough stage. And even though he was saying in interviews, oh my God, I'm playing with Ronaldo. He never once showed that on the pitch. He had never been intimidated or never looked like he was being intimidated by the opposition. And I thought that was so interesting. Now, from a journalistic mm-hmm. point of view, on a tactical level, Juventus is a lot more rigid now and they have positional discipline and obviously they care a lot more about not conceding city goals and all of this. It's it's a lot more, let's say, professional, much less fun. Um, mm. And I still think that he is making the difference. I think that he is learning. Juventus haven't really had a reference point for a while now. Morata doesn't want to be it. Ronaldo wasn't really it either. Um, I think Higuain was the last reference point. And Allegri is now depending on McKennie to make those right runs into the middle and be the guy that makes the most of Dechilio's crosses, that tries to make the most of Cuadrado's crosses, that lays it off, that scores, that uses his header. He is that bulldozer. He makes the right runs. His timing has improved. The chemistry between him and the players that um, on the pitch has also improved. And I like to see that progression. I think that more than anything, when you sort of talk to people in the club, he's a very lovable character. Like, I mean, even you, you mm-hmm. see that even from if you watch All or Nothing on Amazon you know, about Juventus, in which he talks about ranch dressing. <laughs> and you just think, <laughs> I feel so, I feel exactly the same about ranch dressing, dude. Yeah. Ranch dressing is <laughs> delicious. Do you know what it the is. only problem with that dressing is, Mina? The only problem what? with that dressing is that as an English person with an English accent, it's almost impossible to order it in America because you go there and you want it and you try to say it and you say ranch dressing and they look at you like, what? And then you try and do an American accent so they understand you and you go, ranch dressing? Ranch? And then they look at you like you're really, really off your rocker um so that's the only problem about dressing but i'm with you it's nice otherwise (laughs) (laughs) and when kalini's like you just use olive oil and he's like no man (laughs) i just i I just i love him and he is such a source of entertainment and a, a really happy existence in the dressing room and that's really important for juventus which is why they're not willing to let him go there has actually been interest in him from other clubs but because of, it's interesting because Marco Storari was not the world's greatest goalkeeper, but a good good enough goalkeeper. But it was really important for Juventus to keep hold of him. And at the time, I'm like, why are you so attached to this man? And they said he was such an influence in the dressing room. He made it a happy place. His wife made it a happy place when she would come and unite all the wags. And, and, and these types of characters change the dressing room that makes it a happy place to be. And McKenney is that man, which is what I love about him is he doesn't care at Juventus. He doesn't care if Ronaldo is there. He's always just comes bursting in, being himself, not afraid of anything and takes on instructions and progresses his game. 
So like I said, I'm willing to sell most of my club, but if there is a player that belongs, no, I do think McKenny belongs. I think there is still a road for him to learn from, but I think Federico Chiesa has things to learn. So, you know, he may not have like the talent of Pulisic because I, I do really rate Pulisic and I think that he's done so much at Dortmund and obviously at, at Chelsea, but McKenny is still very young and what he does is obviously entirely different in midfield. But I, I do think that if he can cope with the tactical rigidity of this team, and still make the difference, then he has a way to go. And I would like to keep him there because I think he adds a lot to the side. I I, I always remember, tell me if I've said this before on this podcast, because sometimes I think I'm an old boy now who just repeats things. But <laughs> I, I remember when I was, because um, I lived in the States for a couple of years, I, I worked in the States, I, I did a little bit of covering MLS while I was over there. But I remember reading a a piece for, um, I think it was Howler magazine by Matthew Doyle, where he was trying to sort of dig into like, what's the heritage of, of US soccer. And he was sort of saying, look, Italy has a uh, catenaccio, like what's, what's America's version of that? What's our sort of core of soccer heritage? And he drew the lines with different countries as well. And what he settled on for America is he's like, in the end, I think the American soccer heritage is try hard, run fast, which is, funny right like it's a very sort of oversimplification of like american soccer down to like basically athleticism first and 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 funnily enough i think the western mckinney started from try hard run fast like i think that is where western mckinney begins with that u.s soccer heritage but i think he is becoming something more interesting than that over time and i think that's that's awesome like it's it's fun to see and by the way is why we love to see players from United States and also from England come to play in Italy because I think the one, the good ones, the ones who are open to learning, whether they stay in Italy long term or not, they become away with something new in their game that they didn't have before because Italian football has has things to offer. As everyone listening to this podcast already knows, I'm preaching to converted. <laughs> Next question we've got is from Dan Vega in Wales, who we read his question last week, two and two weeks, Dan, you're doing very well. Dan uh, says, if uh, Frank Kessier leaves Milan as expected in the summer, who would you both pick as a possible replacement or does the squad have depth there to cover him? Could Tonali perhaps adjust his game and dovetail with Benasser? What do you think, Mina? It's interesting because it seems like um, Stefano Pioli doesn't really believe in Tonali-Benasser partnership which I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, it hasn't really worked. It's, it, I do see his point of view in the sense that when they have played together, it hasn't necessarily been this perfect relationship, but um, it is going to be very difficult. Honestly speaking, I cannot think of a name off the top of my head that Milan can afford and that would have the same impact as Frank Kessier. This goes back to, we were discussing on the main show on Monday, um, sorry, on it comes out on Tuesdays, about whether or not Dybala's contract should be renewed. And we thought, that I thought certainly at the time with Donnarumma that it was worth paying him the money. And then if you can no longer afford those wages because they are such a drain on your annual um, revenues and obviously um, what you're putting out, then you can sell him because there's a market for him and he's young enough to still command a huge fee and, and, and good enough. And I think the same with Frank Hesier. So I would probably do all I could to keep hold of him, even if it meant like a very expensive contract, because I think there's going to be a market for him for at least another three years. I think that he is somebody that's fine to go if he thinks there's a better opportunity there. I am a little bit worried in the sense that some of his performances have dipped. 
but me and I don't really have the money to invest a lot in this great player, but they didn't invest a lot in all of their team and they have raised them to be the talented individuals that they have become and yet still capable of being important members of a team unit and cogs in, in a wonderful tactical strategy that Purely has. Um, I do think Benesser and Tonali are good enough to play together and I do think that they can learn to work with one another and make the impact because they do have complementary skills and Tonali can be defensive or very attack-minded. Um, Benesser is just so good on the ball and his speed of execution is so wonderful to watch. There's also Kroonich, but they would definitely need to find another midfielder because I don't think Kroonich is of that level. Um I can't think of one. Can you think of one that you think that they could afford or bring in? Because it's not Ndombele's, certainly not with his um, salary requirements from Tottenham, who's on the market. Yeah, no, I think Milan, like lots of Italian clubs, would have to always be creative and be looking for the less obvious candidates, be looking for the the next up-and-coming thing rather than the next sort of yeah. ready-made thing. And Ndombele is... Is an interesting idea. I think you are looking in the sort of right mould there. But yes, the, the the costs would be interesting and, and challenging for Milan. I think there's no question that that saying goodbye to Kessier would be a, a, a tough thing to do because Frank Kessier is a really, really good footballer. And yeah. really, really good footballers just aren't easy to replace no matter what position they play in. I, I don't see a fundamental problem with the idea of Ben Asen and Tonali playing together. I understand where Dan is coming from in that neither of them is fright is quite Kessier, right? Like neither of them yeah. has and look, they're both willing to to make a tackle, but neither of them quite has that um I guess a, aggression to their game. Again, the sort of willingness to sort of um I, I think it's sort of uh, oh, it's not just defending, it's defending in a, in a more confrontational way. It's defending up the pitch. It's defending uh, with those sort of aggressive early blocks, those aggressive early sort of uh, first wave assaults almost on, on the opposition as they try to come forward. I, I think neither of them naturally slots into that mould, but I think you also have to accept as a football team and certainly as a football manager that personnel does shift from year to year. And part of the manager's job is to say, well, if I've still got talented footballers, which I think you certainly have in Tonali and Benesse, how does it work without it having to be exactly the same shape? Look at Allegri's successful period at, at Milan in the at events in the past, and it was it was basically a different formation every season. Every season that he was there, even while winning the league season after season, players would go in, players would would go out, and he would generally about halfway through the season, finally settle on the formation that he felt like was the best use of them. So it might be that there's a Milan in the future that has um, Benasser and Tonali in the middle of it. And there could be a third man in that group. There could be a third player that that, that acts as a sort of conduit between them that does something that, that they're not doing. There could be that it's no longer, who knows, it could be a back four or back three. It could be a, a front three instead of a, a, a front two. It could be all sorts of different things. And I think that that's the bit that sort of, I think you're going too far into the reeds if you're sort of thinking it has to be exactly this shape next season, because it doesn't, it could be anything next season. Are those two players talented enough that you would want to keep them and make them work together? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And maybe you just had to, need to add a third man into the middle of it that, that makes it work. I, I wouldn't be at all worried myself about whether those two can work together, because I think a good coach would get them to work together fine. Um, the question is just, have you got the supplementary pieces you need? And that's a question that 
extends into the the greater transfer strategy, I guess. Actually, I'm just thinking now, you know, Napoli have a lot of midfielders and we know that Angris is yeah. that sort of main guy. Um, alongside Fabian Rui and Zinitsky just in front of them. Do you think Lobotka or Deme could be put on a transfer market? Because, I mean, they have been very important in terms of squad depth, and I like both of them so much. Lobotka maybe a little bit more, but that would be an interesting arrival, but I, I don't think Napoli are, are a team that really sells cheaply, so that would be interesting. Or I would go for Alain, their former midfielder, who moved to Everton. I'm not entirely sure wants to stay there anymore, so... I know he's a little bit older, but it would be nice to put in because sometimes I think it's nice to mix youth with older players. But I'm just ranting about different midfielders that I think could be available and not too costly for Milan. Interesting ideas. I think there's both interesting ideas. So let's move on to the third question, which is from Ashkan. And he asks, Andre Onana's arrival will most likely mean the end of Handanovic's tenure at Inter, unless... We, in inverted commas, because he's obviously an Inter fan, do a Chesney slash Buffon arrangement. Who, between Skriniar or Barella, do you see as Inter's captain? So that's two questions, Sashkan. Well done for sneaking one through. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that Onana's arrival will mean the end of Handanovic, who was man of the match against Atalanta? Or do you think they are likely to do what PSG is trying to do <laughs> with Donnarumma and Navas and failing. <laughs> I I could certainly see a, a season of split duties. I think that's not that uncommon nowadays. I mean, think about um, how long Buffon and Chesney coexisted at Juventus with a sort of slowly shifting, um, I guess, prominence within that relationship. I think it's it's a bit different here, right? Onana is, is coming in with probably a a stronger hand perhaps than Chesney had, although Chesney had come off a good time at Roma when he came to Juventus. I, I think it's a move that Inter needed to make sooner or later. If you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said they need to make it sooner because Handanovic isn't playing very well. But actually, again, you know, when the facts change, the analysis changes. Handanovic has played better again um, in the last, uh, about this season, really, I think. So it's complicated. And the answer to that question might depend on the will of those two players. Uh, I don't know if Handanovic would be the sort to turn around and say, no, I'm I'm starting or I'm out of here. I, I expect not at this point of his career. I think he held on so long at Inter. And I thought at a certain point, I, I worried for him that when he was really, in my opinion, the best of the best in Serie A, he was never going to get to play these um, regular Champions League games, get to, to win a league title. And now he's done those things. But for sure, even though he's playing well again this season, he, he's he's not getting any younger. None of us are, but he's he's at the end. Of- I am. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Look, some of us stopped firmly at 29 and haven't moved since. We're still not getting yes. younger. Um, <laughs> We're just doing um, Exactly. Um, but look, it, it is a, it is a decision that they needed to to make at some point, and and it's going to be a difficult transition because he has been the club captain and because he has played really well recently. But um, I, I I do think it's the beginning of the end for Handanovic. And, and to answer the question about the captaincy, I actually think Ashkan might have missed some names off this list. Um, I think that when you say who is it between Skriniar and Barella, I I don't think I find it impossible that. Marcelo Brozovic could be considered for the captaincy. I think he's established himself in that locker room 
certainly on the pitch is one of the most um, important players and and is one of the most sort of team oriented, I would say. I mean, this is the player who literally last season covered more distance per game than anyone in all of Serie A, not just at Inter. Like he was the player who ran the most. So I think he's very much positioned as a leader in that in that dressing room and and as a sort of character that you want to set as an example for the rest of your squad. The other name, it's probably too soon. It probably is, but the other name in my head is week by week, Alessandro Pastoni feels more and more like a future leader for Inter and Italy. And I love them. If you wanted to go that way, I could see it happening. But look, I also think that's a, a decision that's been made perhaps um perhaps too recently, too mistakenly. Um, in the case of uh, of Romagnoli at Milan, and perhaps that example of don't don't give the poor young centre back who's still coming on all the responsibility, let them keep developing, might be a more um, a more prudent approach. Bastoni is already so much better than what Romagnoli was. Because <laughs> I, I feel really bad for saying that, but poor Romagnoli he's a lovely man, but um, not necessarily like of the talent that. But, but you know. What I think is so impressive about Bastoni is that he really did struggle at the beginning of the season with what Inzaghi was trying to do and just the way that he keeps growing and, and improving his game. And he, he's a wonderful talent, but maybe one day we'll talk about Federico Di Marco as the potential captain as well. Um, that's an interesting one with the captain thing because um, I agree. Hasn't Marcel Brozovic been there the longest from Skriniar Barella? I believe so. Certainly longer than Barella. Uh, how long is Skriniar been? I think he's been there longer than Skriniar. Yeah, he has been longer than Skriniar, no? Yeah, yeah it has been longer than even De Bruyne. So, so I feel like Brozovic should get it. Um, I think firstly because, you know, it, it's like you said, like he just gives so much to the team. He get, even against Atalanta, he's the guy that you look at to rescue you from the situation. This is what I think is a true leader, you know, is, is somebody who is always the man that you sort of look at and think, help us get out of here, which is, you know, going back to my Dybala point, Dybala point that I'm not entirely sure that I look at and always think, feel confident that he's the guy that can take Juve out of a tough situation. Um, but sorry, I do always bring it back to Juve, but I, I do think that's an, it's for me, Brozovic would be great. Firstly, you are trying to um, extend his contract, you would make him feel important. He's a man who, when Mauro Icardi was in that dressing room, was very unhappy at certain various moments. There was a lot of talk about Brozovic wanting to leave, but his intelligence on the ball, and I feel like he's truly one of those players that's aging like fine wine. Um, He relies so much on his intelligence on the the ball, his understanding and spatial awareness, um, the, the kilometers, kilometers that I'm so sorry. I can't speak at the moment because <laughs> my voice is way, way is going away and I'm trying to find ways of saying things quicker. So then my brain and my mouth are just in, in, in turmoil, but, um, I would look at him. Great. Don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> As for Anana and Handanovic, um, Handanovic is somebody that's name-checked quite a few times in player interviews that Inter does with their players. Barella has talked about him and the influence that he has on the dressing room. Players like that, for me, are like gold. you know. And I remember something that at the time that um, Manuel Pellegrini said when he was at was it Villarreal, I, I forget the club, um, and about the role of Capdevilla and about how having these certain leaders in the dressing room, even if they age, even if they can't necessarily do everything that they used to do on the pitch, um, but they are important for teaching 
the next generation, for showing them the right attitude, the mentality, being the hero when it when you need to be the hero. What I loved so much about Buffon last season is that he was the man that was constantly shouting in matches. Pirlo was was drowning in certain games. And Buffon would come on and play at the back and be like, come on, keep this up. And it was interesting because he was the guy that was always doing that. Such a voice, Buffon. Like you could hear that voice like two yeah. stadiums away. Like it's so loud. So loud, especially because obviously there wasn't anyone watching, right? It was like closed stadiums, you know, so you yeah. could really hear it. And then it was interesting how much Chesney adopted that afterwards. And then in the next match when Chesney was playing, you started seeing him do it. And so I think it's important to have sort of like this clear line. And, and this was spoken a lot about how Milan created these wonderful defenders is because you do have, you know, the likes of like obviously Balesi and then you have Maldini who, you know, he's passing on his experience to Maldini. Maldini then passes it on to, I don't know, the, the next generation, Nesta and, and Thiago Silva and it keeps going and going. And I think it's important to keep Samir Handanovic, I think for at least two seasons and, and make sure that, yes, you alternate them, whatever it is, but he is still a very important figure, not just on the pitch and his man of the match performances, but his experience, his mentality, his maturity, and the fact that he can make the difference to this day, whether it be with his voice, whether it be with his understanding with the defenders, definitely not the end of the road for me. And I feel like he's been such a loyal servant for Inter that I hope that he gets treated well. And he's not somebody that has spoken out he has held firm with all the disasters that have happened in the dressing room before Marotta came in and organized everything. So, and I think that he'll be important for Anana's um, arrival and for him to really get adapted to a different type of league. Obviously, Ajax and, and, and everything that's done in the, in the Netherlands is different to how Italy plays the game. And I think that it would be nice to have somebody there that can help you out and, and still play a vital role. Um, so I would certainly keep that there and obviously alternate them. There's a lot, a lot of matches, so there's no need to worry about that. You've seen some greats, you know, from Keylor Navas and Ike Casillas, obviously change and rotate with whoever was there. So I don't see it being a problem there. I guess that is all we've got for this uh, week's Q&A. Thank you, Mina. I hope that everyone... <laughs> enjoyed this week's episode uh do check out our new website at seriachronicles.com to find all our episodes uh to uh find reviews to contact us and to become a chronicles t4 so on patreon by clicking the link to get access to exclusive uh bonus content and podcast episodes which we are busily planning at the moment get your questions in on Twitter at SeriacronPod with the hashtag ChroniclesQ&A. Find us both on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Uh, if you do pop in there, please do drop a, a like as well. That stuff really helps with the algorithms. Just being transparent, it's great if you can do that for us. And also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it from me and from Mina, and we'll see you next week. Ciao. Guys, I do really like, I can't see the one, like, can you do the...
can we do the rest of sort of just me like being on like the microphone because I can't look at the screen anymore. I've got a really horrible headache now. Totally fine for me. Hello. Oh, this is the last thing I need. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.